prevention of uh, becoming shallow is to do what we were just singing and to really make it all about Jesus and to keep our attention um, upon Him. And that does act as a, a good, uh, it's like good vitamin C, you know, uh, prevents us from falling into the trap that uh, the church so easily can fall into, becoming, becoming shallow. Um, uh, even had a few uh, folks uh, comment you know, on the, the title and just, you know, is that really shallow church? Is that all that it says? You know, I want to say any more, um, don't be a shallow church or we are not, um, you know, but uh, I really wanted to, to keep it just um, maybe be a little uh, unsettling or uncertain or um, provocative in that sense because I think the passage is um, quite unsettling because the church, the, the, the people of God in the day of, of Jesus, that, that organization that was in place to uh, help um, and to were called by God to instruct, support, and lead God's people, um, that organization had become shallow, had become focused on the surface Um, instead of on the soul, um, giving attention to the outward appearance over the inward reality. And by God's love and grace, Jesus confronted that uh, the, the shallow practices that led to that, the shallow leadership that allowed that, and the, the shallow believers that were a result of that invite you to turn to John chapter 2. We'll start in verse 13. We're uh, walking through the gospel of John and and John is is, uh, filled with wonderful events in the life of Jesus and and teachings that are um, have a a variety of um, depth to them for us to explore together. We looked last week at his calling of the disciples and calling them just started where they were, come on, uh, just what, what can I do for you? Then now just come and see, come hang out with me. But ultimately, we'll uh, ask everyone that hangs out with him to follow, um, to uh, get, in, get in line and make him um, Lord. Um, we're going to skip over the, the story of the wedding at uh, Cana, Jesus' first miracle, the sign where he took the, the purification um, bowls of the, the day that, uh, and then filled them with water and turned them to wine but to meet the need at the wedding party. Um, but a great uh, symbolic presence also that, that Jesus is going to be doing some pretty wild things. He's going to be changing some of these, um, the, the, the way that it used to be done, he's going to be changing those ways. And as a symbol in the wedding at Canaan, chapter 2, that he took these bowls that were Jewish purification bowls and filled them with water. Usually that's what they were, they were feet cleaning. And instead he then takes that water and turns it into the best wine at the wedding feast. And so it's, uh, the rest of chapter 2, as Jesus cleanses the temple, in a sense it's got the same theme. He's going to take some things and turn them upside down, except in this case it's literal, and going to take the, the outer appearance and, and 
put it to the side so as to focus on the inward reality of what the, the church, the gathered community of those um, following God um, was doing. So John chapter 2, start with verse 13. It's 863 in your pew Bible or you can follow along on the screen. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we give you thanks for your written word. Uh, thanks uh, that you speak to us of your truth. Out of your love, you share with us what is real and what is good. And for that, we are thankful. And we ask now that you would open the very ears of our soul um, so that we take in what you have for us. Um, we don't want to just be here to be here. We, we want to receive from you what we, what we need. And you know what we need and you will lead us. We trust and believe in what is good and right and uh, what brings you glory and honor. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. John chapter 2 starting with verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. The Passover of the Jews was near and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? There's one. So there. Story over. Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. When he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name because they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to testify about anyone, for he himself knew what was in everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just a quick overview, just before we dive in a little deeper. But you see that here there are practices that Jesus confronts. Then there's the leadership that Jesus confronts. Jesus turns over all these things, makes a, um, uh, co- confronts all that they're doing, and the, 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 the leaders of the day, they don't oppose what Jesus is doing. They just sort of ask him, uh, what gives you the right to do this? And, and then, then Jesus, talking about the temple being his body, talking about a spiritual meaning, and the, the leaders of the day, they, they stay on the literal level and don't get what Jesus is meaning. And so there's, Jesus confronts their shallow leadership. And then the very end, the, the, 
this shallow church has developed believers that really just want to believe on Jesus' name. There's, there's no depth of believing in the very work of Christ. Um, in verse 23-24, so it even confronts the, the shallow believers versus those that are following him. Um, but what I, I want to look at, particularly are the practices. I want us to, to, to hang out there at the beginning of the passage. But just so we understand the situation, it's, it's Passover. So it's a huge feast, right? It means everybody, all the, the Jews, all the believers are to come into Jerusalem. And there, when they, when they come into Jerusalem, there's certain um, sacrifices that they have to give, certain offerings they have to give, both animal sacrifices and then monetary offerings. So they're all coming. It's huge feast at the temple. And, you know, the, the, the temple isn't just a, a building like this, but it's like a whole city block. It's bigger than that. It's, if you think about just this entire plot of land with the, the parking lot and all the rest, um, that's sort of what the area is like. And it's just filled with people. And it's really not a bad thing that there are the folks that are selling the animals. Because all the people from all over the known area that are coming in for this Passover feast, they're going to need the animals for the sacrifices. And it really... Not possible for some of them to have brought all the the animals that they would need from so far that they came. So it's not a bad thing that they are selling those animals for the worshippers to sacrifice. And then also, while people are there, they're going to give their offering, their financial offering to the temple. Well, the temple only received the offering in a certain currency. And these folks are coming from all over the place. So again, it's not a bad thing that there are money changers available. The money changers would provide a service so that then people could give their offering to the, the temple. And, so, and, and it's not like they were in a setting in this space and there's a bunch of animals sitting around. It's more like the entire parking lot is filled with animals. But, um, and, there's, and maybe the atrium. Um, is filled with them. And, and that we have uh, um, folks, though, can participate in the service if they're anywhere in the building because it's all piped in. You, know, you can hear it and participate in what's, what's going on there. So, but that's, that, so it's not a bad thing that they are providing that service. What's wrong is the, the location. It's, it's the wrong place. It it is causing a number of distractions for the purpose of their gathering. And I want us just to look at a couple of those and consider, imagine those different distractions that the crowded marketplace now has prevented the spiritual practice of God's people encountering Him at the temple. The temple in the Old Testament is the place where God resides. And what has happened with these necessary services is they have encroached upon the physical temple so that the people cannot encounter the reality of God. The very purpose that the temple was built, the very purpose that the organization exists, was not being accomplished because of the encroachment of the marketplace into their gatherings. 
couple reasons why. One, convenience and personal preference. It just was convenient. It just helped just to have the stuff right outside the door. I mean, it was really the first Walmart. You know? it's all, everything you need is, is right there. But that need for convenience, that need for, for personal preference, it, may, it distracted from the very purpose that they were to gather. There's, there's been nothing wrong if they'd just do it down the street, across the street, have those services elsewhere, but not to encroach on the gathering of the people who are seeking God together. The convenience and personal preference had gotten in the way. It's a warning, I think, for us. I think Jesus confronting the shallow church is a warning for us that that we have that we're diligent, so that we don't let the same thing happen. That that we don't let convenience and personal preference make us a, a shallow or distracted community of Jesus followers. Yeah, as many of us as there are, we have different preferences, different things that make it just easier for us to be here. And we can't let those things get in the way of our common purpose of being united, as we were just singing, making it all about Jesus. I I keep um, letters um, that uh, folks give to me that are just, uh, that send to me, it's helpful to just remember um, something. Some of them are good letters, some of them aren't. One letter that I keep that I refer to regularly is one where someone told me how angry they were about the position of the pulpit. And I I had to say, you know, I just don't think it matters that much to God if it's here or if it's here or if it's here. There may be some guidance as to what helps us, helps me put notes and Bible, but it's just not that significant. And I use that as a silly example, but one nonetheless, ways we can get focused on other things besides Jesus that relate to our own personal convenience or our own personal preference. The other thing that was a problem in the temple in the first century was that the marketplace was in the court of Gentiles. The court of Gentiles is the place where all the visitors came. If you weren't Jewish, that's where you had to go in order to participate, in order to hear, in order to hear the word read, in order to participate in what was going on. The, the outsiders could only gather in the court of Gentiles. And on those Passover days, because it was a little more convenient, a little more helpful for the, the, the people of the temple to have the animals and the money changers there, the outsiders had no place to gather. They had no place in which to hear of Yahweh and participate. A warning, I think, to the church that again that we have a that we are diligent, that we don't forget the need of the outsider. 
That we remember some of Jesus' stories when he told us you know, about a, a shepherd who left 99 in order to get the one lost. And, and that when the one lost came back, it was a celebration and a party of the angels in heaven. The church in Jesus' day had become, again, too focused on their own personal preference and convenience and forgotten the significance and high priority of reaching out to the outsider. Third problem that I think Jesus reveals by confronting this shallow practice of the church is that it did distract all who gathered from their interaction with God. You know, this huge production, this huge production of bringing all the animals in, all the money changers, getting them all set up, that it t- took so much of the energy, took so much of the time, filled so much of the noise that there was no way for then those who are gathering to truly focus on the depth of their relationship with God. I think another warning that I hear you know, for us is that we can be too busy to be deep, too scattered. Richard Foster in Celebrations of Disciplines and one of his introductory words says that, you know, the biggest enemy of depth with God is hurry. So a couple of warnings to us that I think for us as a church, for us individually, that that Jesus shares, uh, I think, as he's confronting this, this shallow practice of the church in his day. And I share these with us so that as a community of faith and as individuals, as followers of Jesus, we can be on our toes, you know, just aware, looking. You know, are we falling into the same trap in any of these ways? That's, that's been my prayer this week to say, you know, God, open, open my eyes, heart. Let me hear. What are, what are the ways that I might be falling into that trap, that we might be falling into that trap. And I ask you to to do the same. And that as a community, we we share that responsibility of of diligence with each other so that we, we learn from this story, these events of Jesus, and that we would catch in ourselves ways that we might have shallow practices that would distract us from in the very purpose for which we gather. Because I, I do believe, get, get a, a sense uh, uh, as I'm listening... That, that God is, is leading us to keep our focus on Jesus. That, that He is what we've been praying for the last three or four months. He's answering. He's connecting us in Jesus. He's teaching us to serve like Jesus. 
He's enabling us to, to celebrate Jesus. He, he is doing His work of making us a church without walls for His glory. And as He is doing that, as He is leading us forward into this, this year, then it means all the more that we're on our toes and diligent, aware of the ways that we can fall into the traps of the church of Jesus' day where God was in the flesh right in the midst of them and they didn't recognize Him and even, even opposed Him. Now, I... I believe that God is at work and leading us forward according to His glory and His honor. And and the the, the final piece of this passage for us to to continue to to pray for, not only to say, all right, show us where we're missing it, the, the other is to continue to be in prayer as we look into this year together that we would have what the disciples recognized in Jesus. That his, his reaction at this, this point to a, a shallow church was a zeal for his house. A, a zeal for his people. I mean, in, in Jesus' day, the, the house of God was a building. The, the place where God dwelled, the temple, was a building. After Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, after the coming of the Spirit, after the day of Pentecost, it was no longer that God dwelled in a building. God's house, God's temple, is now us. We are the place that God dwells. We're the the place, those that are seeking to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in us. So now, we, like Jesus, want that same zeal. Same zeal for God's dwelling in us. To be experienced. To be real. And to to overflow, to encourage one another, and to be a witness to the world. I invite you to to join with me as we start 2011. Join me in that being on your toes, that diligence, seeing how we can get sidetracked, and pursuing God to, to give us that same zeal that filled Jesus. A zeal for Him, for the Spirit of God. To fill his people. Let's continue in prayer. Gracious God, we do ask in this moment that your spirit would open our eyes, that, that we would see, we would recognize ways and correct them that in our own lives and our life together as a community, that we uh, fall into some of the same traps and tendencies of the, the church in Jesus' day. Show us the, the ways that we get too busy and distracted by the, the noise and the hurry. 
Show us the ways that we seclude ourselves with our own tribe and box out those who don't know you, need to hear you and to know you. Show us ways that we can get too focused on our own personal needs, that we lose track of pursuing you together. And we we pray, Lord, that indeed your spirit will be alive in us as we gather around your word, as we gather together in prayers, we gather together in, in celebrating you, in serving you, that you would continue to, to feed the fire of a zeal, of an energy, of a, a hunger for your spirit to fill us to the depth of our souls. And gracious God, we take this time as well to lift up to you one another. Continue to to pray for your healing hand, your healing touch on those in, in need of your shalom. Continue to pray for Margaret Kuyper, Fletcher Morell, Chuck Merrihue, Bob Heller. Pray your your hand uh, upon each of them. Adam Statman. For the other needs and concerns of, of one another. Whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, relational. And gracious God, we lift up to you as well our brothers and sisters around the world. We lift up uh, so many that are facing such great challenges. Uh, brothers and sisters in Australia and the, the flooding. We pray that your, your church would be bold and strong there and, and that, that you would take that which is evil and destructive and your, your church would be, would be at work to show of your love and your goodness and might bring about renewal and revival in that land. Pray the same in Lebanon and Tunisia as their lands go through revolution. We pray for our brothers and sisters there to be bold and strong and and safe in you and that you would use revolution to bring your love and to bring a a freedom that allows for the the good news of Jesus to be proclaimed. We join together, Lord, with our brothers and sisters around the world seeking together to have a zeal for you, a hunger for you. And we use the the words that Jesus taught us to pray as we join with brothers and sisters around the world and and throughout the ages. Take these words, make them not just the shallow words of our lips, but continue to use them to form the very desires of our heart. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us continue to worship God. So put the pulpit in the right place.
and offer, so we offer ourselves unto Almighty God through our offerings. <laughs>